started, um, I just want to like affirm you in some, some wonderful things. I wish that uh, a lot of you knew the situations that I know that a lot of you are walking through. And when you sing a song like that, and you can still sing about the goodness of God, you have no idea the kind of testimony and witness that is to anyone who knows you that you can still talk of the goodness of God is running after you and he's been faithful all of your life. Because to many, as they know us and kind of do life with us, they're like, it wouldn't appear as though God is good. It wouldn't appear as though God is faithful. So as you walk through the seasons of life that you're in, when you respond in song like that, it's a beautiful witness to the goodness of God and his testimony in your life. So just thank you just as you do that. Uh, it, it means a lot to me personally means a lot to a church family and to anyone visiting who knows your life. Um, why we sing? To lift our praises to our Heavenly Father, but to bear witness to the God who is redeemed and who restores and brings us life in the midst of suffering. So thank you for all of that. Would you pray with me as we begin our, our time together this morning? Our gracious and Heavenly Father, as we engage your words to us this morning, we just invite your spirit to um, speak into our life in a profound way. Uh, because this one, this one kind of gets close to all of us very, very quickly. And we just pray that um, we would hear from you and move us from where we are into a space that you call us to be. In your name we pray, amen. Do not handle and do not touch are woven all the way through the text that we're working through this morning. And if you have a Bible with you, a, a, a paper one or an electronic device, I would invite you to open to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. And we're going to spend some time working through 16 to 23, and there's some lines in there that I'd love for you to underline or highlight or mark up uh, either with a pen or your finger on your phone. Uh, but these languages, this, this phrase of do not handle, do not touch, Paul writes this line in reference to rules. And as human beings, we love our rules. We love to know what is right and wrong. We love to know kind of black from white. We love to know where we stand in the grand scheme of things. And generally speaking, we do this through rules. Rules are everywhere. I remember watching uh, a couple rounds ago in the playoffs, um, I think it was the Los Angeles Kings, one of their players, kind of fourth liners, took a run at, uh, I think it was the Vegas's top player. And the player who kind of committed the crime, was penalized because roughing is not allowed in the game of hockey the way that he did it towards that other player. So the rule was enforced quickly, but right after the penalty was done and the guy was in the penalty box, it was curious listening to the commentators talk about there is an unwritten rule in the game of hockey. And it was basically, if you're going to do this to their top guy, don't be surprised if in the next period they come after your top player. And sure enough, uh, as the second period began, this began to unfold, and they were kind of laughing and joking about this is kind of an unwritten rule of hockey. We love rules so much. We have written, stated rules, and then we have quiet, unwritten rules that we all know about and that we all practice. This is how much we love rules. We love rules. They are black, they are white, right, wrong. It sets us up for all kinds of, quote-unquote, wonderful things in our lives. When we follow the rules as we think they ought to be, we feel good about ourselves. At best, when we follow rules, it gives us a sense of pride, a sense of accomplishment. At 
worst, it gives us a sense of self-righteousness or a misplaced sense of holiness. And it wrongfully places us on a pedestal by which we then we judge other people based on their inability to follow those same set of rules that we do. All of these dynamics, our love for rules, the self-righteousness that we get from it, our desire to judge other people who don't measure up, all of these things dominate the text that we've been working through this week or reading through this week and getting ready for this morning. And this is exactly what Paul is speaking into when he writes this in verse 16. It's on the screen. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. And if you look at what he is talking about, these rules that he's addressing would tend to fall into the religious group of people of his day. New moon celebrations, it's often connected to religions, or religious festivals, the observance of them, or Sabbath day. These are all kind of connected to the insider church community or the community at large of Colossae where religions dominated the day. And he says, don't let anyone look, judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, or a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And then he keeps going. And in verses 20, 21, he then talks about kind of the rules of the broader world. And I took a, a bunch of it. Why do you submit to its rules? It's is referencing the world. Why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In the city of Colossae, there were a number of belief systems at play. Each system had their own set of rules to live by. Rules that, if followed, would provide us with our own sense of self-righteousness. Rules that, if followed, would keep us from being judged. Rules that, if followed, would, would give us the ability to be accepted by a particular community of people. Rules that, if followed, would give us the right to judge other people based on their inability to follow those same rules. This was a dynamic in the city of Colossae. And ironically, it is a dynamic that takes place inside the city of Charlottetown. It's a dynamic that takes place across the country of Canada, America, and around the world. It's the same thing. Getting ready for this morning, I jumped onto some of my social media platforms, and I just typed in hashtag be better. Curious. The be better movement is driven by what Paul is saying, where people following a particular set of rules, sometimes no one knows what those rules are, will watch something unfold, comment on it, ridicule it. At the bottom of their commentary, a little thing that appears, hashtag be better. And in my head, I'm like, curious that you're the one that defines that. You're the one that defines what be better looks like in this particular moment doesn't matter whether it was then or now, people, communities of people, we are a breeding ground for self-righteousness based on the observance of rules. Every facet of life, every facet of culture speaks to this reality that I'm trying to get at this morning. And just to show you what I'm talking about, we'll start with church life. We, like every other community of people, it's a breeding ground for rules where we set up particular ways of life that then we posture one over the other in sense of righteousness and judgment. And if you're new to church, I'm going to say some things. You'll be like, no. Yeah. It was spectacular and sometimes still is spectacular. It was not long ago in church life where we had rules like you can't play cards. 
some of you still think that way. Listen, that ship has sailed. <laughs> that sailed when? On Easter Sunday morning. The original Easter Sunday morning. There were rules of you shouldn't dance. You can't go to movies. I remember the first movie that I was allowed to go to. It was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one. <laughs> Late 80s, early 90s. And I remember kind of like making the ask to my parents. I remember watching them process what the request was as though somehow, <laughs> I don't know what they thought was gonna happen to me when I walked into the movie theater. But, but that was the first movie, watching Raphael eat pizza through this movie, and I remember how much of a big deal that was for our home to let that movie goer go and still welcome them home when he came back. <laughs> we laugh, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Rules like you can't drink any alcoholic beverage on any occasion in your life. If you were a movie goer and that, oh. <laughs> Over the years of my life, I've spoken with a lot of people who are older than me in church life, and they would share the things that they could and could not do on a Sunday. And those individuals were much older than me, and ironically, I have those memories too. I remember in my own life when I came into grade seven, grade eight, and I would ask, hey, listen, my friends are going down to the park to play basketball. Can I, can I go? And the answer was, no, no. Um, no, not on Sunday, but, but if you want to invite your friends into the church basement to play basketball, you can, you can do that there. And because I'm a curious fella, I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't understand why that, that's okay, but I can't go down to the park. And then later, when I really began to press this, it was like, well, well you, you'd be seen playing a sport on Sunday. And, and, you know, we don't want to do that. It's curious, the rules that we live by. I have talked to many of you over the years around giving in church life, the tithing rule. And the questions I always ask in this moment is like, well, do you tithe off the gross or do you tithe off the net? And instantly it becomes a fun game for me to play with this individual. <laughs> And then you go and say, well, but do you tithe off your GST rebate? Do you tithe off your income tax return? Do you tithe off, and get this, your lottery winnings? How about that, eh? How about that? These discussions, these have nothing to do with honoring the Lord. And it has everything to do with increasing your own sense of self-righteousness. We set the rules that we need to follow because it allows us to feel good about ourselves when we follow them. And, and ironically or shamefully or disappointingly, it puts us in a place where we get to judge other people for not following the set of rules that we've defined in our own lives. This is the heartbeat of cancel culture, so let's move out of church life and talk about our culture. This is at the heart of cancel culture. Communities of people set up rules which then increase their own, self, their own sense of self-righteousness. They feel good about themselves when they follow the rules that they have set in place. 
then they judge others based on those sets of rules. And ultimately, they ruin people's lives. And sadly, it's a mission-accomplished moment for them in that space of cancel culture. This is our political spectrum right now. If you take a moment, if we can honestly talk about politics, and because it gets really close to our hearts fast, we'll talk about our American cousins next door. But this is, what I'm about to say for them is every bit is true for us. If you're a Democrat, you are for a woman's right to choose. You are for abortion. You are for clean energy. Anything that you would say to promote oil is just a hard no automatically. You are for the promotion of the LGBTQ community and transgender conversations are taking center stage right now. Still more, if you are a Democrat, you are for immigration and the opening up of the borders. You are immersed in woke culture, which is essentially the celebration of all the things wrong in history and judging them and trying to remove and or erase out of a sense of we're better, be better, all it is. If you are a Republican, it's just the opposite of what I just said. It's just the opposite. And it's a war of rules. It's a war of which rule is going to win. And ironically, in the middle of that war, people literally are losing their lives. Relationships are fragmented beyond repair. Countries torn and ripped in two. It's curious. What rules will do? It's curious what the devotion that we would have to our own set of rules would do in our homes and our families and our countries. I don't know how we get to a place where we feel are filled with great pride and this sense of self-righteousness based on how strictly we adhere to our own rules and how quickly we are to judge other people on the other side of those rules. And the hatred by which we attack one another is unparalleled and very, very, very disheartening. We live in a world where we will go to great lengths to destroy people's lives, careers, and families if they disagree with your rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Like the city of Colossae, like the church of Colossae, we, even in our time and place, we love our rules. We love our views and we love our practices. It gives us a sense of self-righteousness. We bask in our own glory as we judge other people. And here's the first of two conclusions that Paul says into this particular dynamic. It's on the screen. Sorry, it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read you a little bit, and then I'll put the 23 up here in a moment. Paul says to this culture, this dynamic, why do you submit to its rules? Talking of the world. Why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish, are based merely on human commands and teachings. And then he keeps going, and this is 23, it's on the screen. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom. I love that line, have the appearance of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Our churches, our politics, our hashtag be better movements, all of this, is nothing more than the appearance of wisdom. But I want to be very clear with what's unfolding in the middle of it all. It's false humility, it's self-centered pride, 
It's a harsh treatment of the physical body that God's given you, and it's self-imposed worship. This is all it is. The key line in this passage is one that we just read over and we don't actually spend the time to look at it. It's this last little bit where it says, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This line is Paul saying to you and to me and to them, when you think you are right, when you argue emphatically that you are right, you are still very, very, very wrong. Your self-imposed rules your made-up sense of righteousness, your do-not-touch, your do-not-taste rules, it only fosters hatred and division among people. And it compels you to be angry one to another. These rules, they give you no ability to stop you from, and this is the line, from indulging in sensual practices. The rules that I live by, the rules that you live by, It doesn't stop me from indulging in the sensual practice of anger and bitterness and rage. The rules that I live by, it doesn't stop me from committing incredible acts of desire and lust. It doesn't stop me from all the sensual things that I don't want to do, but yet I find myself doing them. Give you some examples. Small rural conservative village in Hillsborough. No, sorry, not Hillsborough, that's where my parents live. A small rural village over in New Brunswick. There is a, a drag show that's unfolding in the town. Didn't matter what rules you held to on that particular conversation. It didn't keep either side from being incredibly hateful towards one another. It didn't stop them from saying things that you would never say to another human being. It didn't stop them from divisions being formed in families. It didn't stop them from that sensual indulgence that they desperately don't want to commit and or do, and yet they find themselves doing it. Tithing. Church life. It doesn't matter your rules. It doesn't matter if you tithe on the net or the gross or your lottery winnings. None of these rules keep you from the self-indulgence of greed and pride. Because even in your generous gifts, it's nothing more than you. It's nothing more than the promotion of you. The weird pleasure you get knowing that you are the biggest donor and giver in a particular initiative. The self-adoration or the public praise or the best ones. Your name appears in the platinum section of the donor wall as you walk through whatever organization says, there's my name. Personal level. Sex, lust, desire, this whole conversation, it doesn't matter your rules. You can have all the internet safeties you want. You can have all the accountability partners you want. You can build all the walls around your life you want. And none of these rules will restrain the sensual indulgence of lust or desire. To say this another way, you can create all the rules you want, but that rule is not going to help you when you need help the most. Because rules never, ever, ever, ever get down to a heart level of a human being. How does one become a rule-based person? Very simple. This is verse 19. Paul says it this way. They have lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with the head. And our world at large has lost connection with the head, who is Jesus Christ. Churches at large have lost connection with the head who is Jesus Christ. It's curious, in culture, 
when you decide to become something different from what you are, whether that's a new sport or a new hobby, the moment you make that decision to switch over, you are immersed in a new community where you are learning a new set of rules, a new set of values, more law, more rules that isn't going to address the issues that really plague you in church life. It's curious. We see new people come to faith all the time, and yet churches historically, the moment someone comes to faith, they're like, now we've got to teach them. What? The rules. And we turn them to the Old Testament and the law and wonderful things with great intentions. And ironically, we don't teach them the thing that they need for life, which is cultivating a life of prayer with their Heavenly Father. We don't teach them how to discern the voice of the Spirit who leads them in their life. We point them to rules and law, which we love, because it defines how we live and how we breathe. It's very curious how rules just dominate every aspect of our life. When we are disconnected from the head, it is tragic what begins to unfold in the world at large and in churches of faith. Why does remaining connected to the head matter? Well, he goes on to say, well, it's where the body is held together. It's where the ligaments are supported. And it's where we grow as human beings. Church family, when a person, whether it's you or me, when we live by rules, that rule that you live by actually is displacing the person of Jesus from your life. And displacing is a funny word. If you picture like a, a cup of water and you fill it up with something, all that's left is the something that you've put in there and the water is all gone. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if I just fill up my life with rules, I have displaced Jesus from it. I've taken Jesus out of my life and I've replaced him with a rule. A rule for right and wrong. A rule for a sense of judgment. A rule for a sense of humility, which is false. The rule undermines Jesus to the point where I believe a lie that I no longer leave, need Jesus. I want you to think of it this way. And I'm going to use some biblical phrases for you that are struggling through this dialogue. Why would I ever need to remain in step with the Spirit when I have rules? Why would I ever need to remain in step? Why would I ever put any time into figuring out what it is to remain in step with the Spirit when I have rules? Some of you are like, yeah, 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 but in the Psalms it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, as though somehow you think that's rules. No, Jesus is the one who is a light unto my path. Not rules. Very different conversation. Why would I need to take things to the Lord in prayer when I have rules? If all my day of faith is simply a decision tree of rules, if this, then that, if this, then that, if that, I have never once consulted the one who actually shapes my life. I just live inside this incredible pyramid of rules this decision-making tree that robs me of all things connected to life, all things connected to a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. We are a people who are called to live by faith. And when we look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, what do we see? We, someone who, we see someone who got up in the morning and often went away from his disciples to spend time in prayer with his Heavenly Father. Or, as the day was coming to an end, he would disappear, kind of slip off into the garden or go off by himself to pray with his heavenly Father. 
Why? So that as he was going about his day, he was walking in step with what his father wanted him to do. And sometimes, get a little of this, it caused a lot of people to be angry because he functioned outside of the rules. He functioned outside of the, ru- the rules, both on a cultural level, but also on a church level. He did things that made everybody uncomfortable simply following the direction of his heavenly father that he cultivated through a life of prayer so that he could walk in step with the spirit who was guiding him every single day. Here's the second conclusion. I'm going to invite John and Dana and the team back. We are a people who are called to live by faith in Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. We walk in obedience to him. And you know, because we love to be able to like measure the progress. How am I doing in all of this? That's why we love rules. We want to be able to, be able to figure out, am I okay? Am I, am I on the right side of the balance sheet in the rules that I follow? You know that you are headed in the right direction in your faith journey with the Lord. If your indulgences in the sensual practices diminish, you know that you're headed in the right direction if through the course of your life as a follower of Christ, you don't, you don't lose your temper as often and as quick as you once did. Those angry lashouts at family and friend and spouse, that diminishes the quick, sharp words of hate. The judgmental words and deeds. We are headed in the right direction if through the course of our life these sensual indulgences that we hate to do and yet find ourselves doing it based on the rules that we try to uphold, if those things are being displaced by love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, the spirit that Jesus gives. I am headed in the right direction if rules no longer shape my life but a space where I'm growing up listening and I'm talking and I'm praying and I'm responding to Jesus who speaks into my life each day through prayer. It is easy to follow rules. It is easy to cast aspersions on others. It is difficult to carve out seven minutes of your day to pray. It's even harder to spend three and a half minutes of those seven not talking, just listening. And discerning this still small voice that speaks into our life of how I'm to go about in my day. The ones who know me, they'll be free indeed. Church family, it is not about coming to Christ and then getting to know the rules. It is about, ironically, following Christ and you'll be fine. And you'll be fine. And listen, I come from a space where I'm like, but what about the order of things? If I am linked into the head, he orders all things. He orders all things. He doesn't need my help to reconstruct order. He doesn't need my help to define morality. He doesn't need my help. He's the author and creator of it all. He's invited us in to live a life of faith where we like what we see in Jesus himself, that you would spend some time learning the great and valuable discipline of prayer in your own life, in the morning, at the noontime, in the evening, 
And at the same time, you develop the incredible gift of hearing the voice of God in the midst of all the voices that lead you. Rules offer you nothing. Rules is just frustration upon frustration upon frustration. And look at our world, for goodness sake. It's just a frustrated world that's angry on every front because it's been disconnected from the head. And as a people of God, we want to demonstrate when you live your life connected to the head, it's a qualitatively different life. Not void of suffering, not void of pain, not void of heartache, but those sensual indulgences that I'm always held captive by are slowly killed. That sin that reigns in my mortal body is slowly put to death by and through the wonderful Spirit of God in my life. And it is displaced by beautiful things connected to the very Spirit of God. I want to close by reading the back end of Colossians 2 and then into what Jesus says in John 8. Since you died with Christ, Cornerstone, people here this morning, since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why? Do you still live as though you belong to the world? Why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These rules have to do with things that are all destined to perish. And they're based on human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom. You appear to be wise. It's self-imposed worship. It's false humility. It's a harsh treatment of your body. And they lack any value in helping you restrain yourself from the sensual indulgences that we're prone to give way to. And Jesus comes along. He says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to who I am, you really are my disciple. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free of the rule. Free of this self-imposed worship. Free of the harsh treatment of your body. Free of all of the things that divide. Free of all of the things that rob, ruin, and destroy. Free of all the things that can't control the sensual indulgence inside of you that have brought you much pain and heartache in your life. Know Christ. Walk with Him by faith. Spend time in prayer. Listen to the voice. Would you pray with me? Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are invited into this beautiful space of faith where you set us free. Yes, from the bondage of sin and death. Yes, from the eternal realities of the awfulness of what that is. But you've come to set us free while we live our lives now where we get to listen to you engage you in prayer where you'll hear our voice. You'll hear the lament. You'll hear the requests. You'll hear all of it. And then we just sit in the quiet of that space and listen to you talk back to us. How to navigate that very complex aspect of life that rules don't address. Listen to a voice lead down a path that we never thought possible, but when followed we're just blown away at the goodness of the result of something that we couldn't see coming. May we be a people who just earnestly seek after you each day by faith where we get to witness this 
beautiful transformation of a life by and through your spirit in us. In your name we pray. Amen.